Amen. Well, it's good to be together. It's good to be uh, in, in God's house today uh, and gathered together. Um, I was remarking during the breakfast time uh, that even an average sermon on Easter Sunday sounds great. And uh, it, it, the, the texts that we can preach from, uh, we preachers can preach from, are, are so great. They, they almost preach by themselves. Uh, we are looking at a passage today uh, that is a description of Jesus uh, on the beach uh, with his disciples. Um, he is re- restoring his relationship with the disciples and making sure they are restored. They've had a rough, uh, rough time of it. Uh, they reflect back on that Friday when Jesus was, was crucified, and it was a traumatic experience for them. And he is now restoring them. Don't you love to see things restored, restored? Marianne and I were um, back in Denver, Colorado, a couple of Februarys ago, and uh, Marianne's father had passed away, and we attended a memorial service for him on a Monday. And I remember a Sunday late evening, we uh, went downtown Denver, and we were looking for some food. And so I hung out. at the Whole Foods, right? We have a Whole Foods here in Kailua. And uh, I didn't realize where we were really in Denver. But um, uh, looking at the, at the Whole Foods crowd that was there, um, everyone was dressed in flannel shirts and kind of some suspenders. Everybody looked like Mumford and Sons. And um, I didn't realize that we were in that kind of the hipster capital of, of the whole of Denver uh, metropolis there. And... Um, Everybody sort of just kind of looked a little bit of that classy sort of ragged look. You know what I'm saying? How that looks? And I don't know. And, um, well, lo and behold, across the street was a place I had heard about but never been to, Restoration Hardware. So, um, and for, for some, whatever strange reason, we actually get Restoration Hardware catalogs here at the church. I have never ordered anything from them, but they arrive here. So if you need one, I've got one downstairs. Uh, and I've never been inside Restoration Hardware, and if, so if you don't know anything about these, these folks, they, they're really trying to recreate the, the French countryside, uh, the sort of the French, um, I don't know, French countryside, that works. And everything's whitewashed. Everything is sort of off-white colors, lots of rustic-looking things, uh, painted whitewash. I've never seen uh, a coffee table that's sort of like six or seven planks together, kind of stuck together with dents and chips in them. $8,000. You know, eight, okay, $8,000 for that coffee table. Uh, exposed wood frames, cotton fabric, fabrics, that, that, vintage, that vintage look. In, in one of the catalogs, you'll kind of figure out where I'm going with this. By the way, when I preach and you don't know where I'm going, that's somewhat by intention, so hang in there. Um, uh, one of the craziest things in, one of the, in one of the catalogs was an infant's an infant's room, or the infant crib. The crib looked like a giant bed that a king would sleep in. And this massive room, and it had a chandelier over the crib. A several hundred pound chandelier <laughs> over the crib. And I was just looking at that, and I was thinking about, wow, when we want to get something restored, to have a, a, this beautiful image of, of an imagined past, an imagined past, we kind of go crazy. We go overboard. And, and we think about things that are actually probably never really happened. There's probably only been three children in, in all of world history who had a chandelier uh, 
in their, in their little infant room. But we love the word, or we love the idea of restoration, isn't it? Don't you like it? It's good when the neighborhood has that. Remember that rusting Chevy that no one liked? And that guy finally is restoring it. Everyone's happy, right? We, we love restored relationships, restored marriages. Um, we like it when our kids restore their grades, right? That's always a good feeling. So, and what's, what's interesting for me is, is uh, I actually bumped into this book. I don't even know how. Friday Night Lights. Remember Friday Night Lights, the TV show? I actually bumped into the book before the, it was a TV show. And it's quite fascinating that the author of this book moved to Odessa, Texas for a year in order to understand this football-mad culture that had gripped this town. And uh, is it the Parmian Panthers, I believe the name of the high school. And these, these people gather in Texas. If you are from that area, you know that the, the true religion of Texan, Texas people uh, is, is Friday night football. And I, there's a line from this, from this book that goes like this. If the season could ever have any salvation, if it could ever make any sense again, it would have to come tonight under a flood of stars on the flat iron plains before thousands of fans. And the pressure that's put upon these high school boys to, to come through and to restore the dignity of the town. We're not just a football team. We are the champions, the state champions, the pressure that is on them. Marianne and I lived in a town called Elk Grove, California, and the high school there was called, the, the, their, their motto, their, they're called the, the Thundering Herd. How about that? And so uh, we all had t-shirts, the Thundering Herd. Well, little did we know that at the time in which we lived there, the Thundering Herd would play for the Northern California State Championship, and they would win. Our dignity was restored. Uh, we felt our sense of well-being was, was quite restored that night. And I remember going to a, to a coffee shop afterwards to get some dessert with some of the kids we went with, and there at the coffee shop was the coach. This man, this man had the power to restore us and to, to, to bring back the town to town pride. He, he made us come, come alive. We want to come to life when something's restored. It's, there's a sense of feeling of, of, of we, we finally made it. We, we love to feel alive. Today is a passage about others who came alive. It's, of course, about Jesus who came back to life. But as Jesus is hanging around these disciples in John chapter 21, he is restoring them. And in restoring them, they come to life. And to be around Jesus is to come to life. He is the risen Lord of the grave. But his risenness actually connects with us. And so just a few ideas here. We become alive to his way. We become alive to his heart, and we become alive to his presence. Do you know the Gospel of John wraps up with, uh, with a fishing story? Do you know all those traumatic events around the cross? It actually concludes with Jesus rising from the dead, making multiple appearances, and then he is there. And the disciples have gone back to go fishing. They're trying to get a sense of normal life again, and Jesus is walking the earth, and he appears 
and he observes them, and they have been out all night, and they caught nothing. Have we heard that before in the Bible? Caught nothing? I wonder if the disciples were ever good at fishing at all. (laughs) They seem like they never catch any fish. And then, of course, there's that penetrating, awful question that you, you, you just don't ask fishermen. Did you catch anything, right? They will show you what they've caught. You don't have to ask it. Verse 5, do you, do you have any fish? Oh, I wish he'd not said that. Nothing produces guilt in a fisherman more than that question. There is no place to escape. You could answer a question about the weather, about the boat. You could complain about the guys you're fishing with. But there's no way to avoid the answer to that question when you don't have any fish. You, you have to answer it. And they're going to have to be honest about their efforts in the presence of Jesus. Honest about their efforts in the presence of Jesus. And uh, then they're going to also have to be at that place of emptiness and that place of I've got nothing. Jesus, Jesus once again is going to say, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And of course they do. And once again, their nets are filled to the brim such they can't lift the nets out of the water. Isn't that like Jesus? He sends them a message. It's a message of his abundance. It's a message that to to experience true abundance, they'll have to have him. Sometimes when you are catching nothing, you feel like your life is amounting to nothing. You may turn inward on yourself, experience lots of shame, We've talked about in the last few weeks about the self-commentaries we have about our lives, the words we say about ourselves, the the comments we make about ourselves. And sometimes when we are are left with a sense of nothing in our lives, we we can shame ourselves. There's no greater helpless feeling than you can't control fish. You can't make them come. You can try to be clever and draw them in, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. And in this abundance, they are reintroduced to to how Jesus is, what he is like. His way is a way of abundance. Now, in some Christian circles, we we sort of don't get this right. We sort of think of Peter as a lousy fisherman before he met Jesus. And then when he met Jesus, he became a great fisherman. I mean, have you heard those testimonies in church? You know, I don't know. My business wasn't really going until I met Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's not what we don't. We don't view things that way. In other words, Jesus is sort of like a good luck charm. Sort of like a, he, he sort of gives you good fortune. No. Um, Peter and the disciples are going to learn the way of Jesus. It is a way of abundance. It's interesting to read through the rest of the New Testament, just some ideas about the abundance. Of course, it's, 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 it's represented there in, in, the, in the fish, isn't it? Paul tells the Corinthian church that they are not lacking in any gift and that in every way they've been enriched in all speech and in all knowledge. God's way is a way of abundance. You you should have that sense this morning. This story makes me alive. It enlivens me. It's hard to even look at a a tree uh, that's a fruit tree and to realize... There's more fruit here than I could ever eat, more than my neighbors could ever eat. God's way is a way of abundance. 
A short time ago for the disciples on a Friday, it seemed that there would be no way they would ever feel his fullness again. His abundance, his peace. And Paul goes on, 2 Corinthians 4.15, For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving and glory to God. There is this abundance that happens within us. It's the way of Jesus. It's, it's what he's like. It's his manner, his person, to come alive to fullness. It is kind of like that feeling when the high school team wins the championship there's a sense of, of something's right finally in life. But of course that falls short of comparing it to Jesus who gives us such extraordinary fullness. But when, the, when, when a fisherman experiences abundance, you can see it on their face. You can see it in their demeanor. You can see it in how they conduct themselves. Marianne uh, bid for a, we have a silent auction with our school and years ago um, someone offered a big fancy fishing boat off Kona on the big island and Marianne very quietly and very in a stealth manner well Todd would like that and so she she puts my our name down at the end of the night I got this big fishing trip off Kona which is one of the great places for the black marlin right so about seven or eight guys from the church we all went on planes and flew over there and met up and we went out on a three-hour cruise <laughs> And the, and the weather started getting rough. <laughs> we actually had a pretty good day, but we caught no fish. But it was a really cool boat. And it had an indoor compartment that had air conditioning in it. How about that? We weren't, we weren't roughing it. But there were other boats that caught fish. And they parade those fish. <laughs> they show them off on the deck. They hang those, those marlin up there. And, and they're taking pictures. Or, we walk by, just, just, just can't, you know. The fullness affects us, isn't it? It should affect us. It's what we've been made for. We've been made to come alive to the life of Jesus himself. I can say with confidence that the risen king is committed to restoring you. All your doubts. All the things that you are afraid of. The panicky little self inside you. I'm, I'm like you. Maybe you're, maybe you're seeking for perfection. Oh, not a high school football team. Something, something in your life you want restored. God knows it. He knows what you need. And he gives you this story of his son. And somewhere in this story, there is fullness for all of us. It's his way. Something wonderful happens. The self the self is forgotten. We've been re rehearsing a bit that famous line from Augustine that there are two kinds of loves. There is love for God to the forgetfulness of self and there is love of self to the forgetfulness of God. Jesus in this passage is restoring the disciples to the love of God that leads to the forgetfulness of self. And that's, that's sort of his way, isn't it? He, we've been raised in a culture where the self is, is the solution to our problems. But the pop song that tells us that follow your heart and, and, and you'll, you'll find all your fulfillment. And 
Biblically speaking, we know that that's going to lead to just a, a, lot, of, a lot of hardship and, and a lot of heartache. And, and then I just have you notice when Peter jumps in the water, you notice that passage there in verses 7 and 8. Let me just read it for you. Notice this, and then we'll kind of see what the next area of, of coming to live, uh, uh, being alive is about. The disciple whom, who loved, excuse me, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord, verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Peter, Peter's a swimmer. We all remember Peter. Remember that Thursday Eve when Jesus was going through the various ordeals and trials? It was Peter who was told, after he had boasted he would never deny Christ, he was told by his Lord, no, you will do it before the rooster crows. This is Peter. And he jumps in the water and he swims toward the one that he had denied. Quite remarkable, isn't it? Peter denied his Lord. And central to the story is Peter being restored. And Peter swims toward Jesus because he knows the heart of Jesus. He knows that Jesus looked out on crowds and he saw them harassed and dejected like a sheep without a shepherd. He knew He knows wayward hearts. He can handle. Peter had seen the sinners Jesus had a heart for. And now he sees, I'm one of those. I'm not the proud, courageous, prideful defender of Jesus. I am stripped of all my pretensions. But I can go to him. I can move toward him. Jesus is for you if you struggle today. He is for you. I want you to know that. If you think he cannot receive me for all all my shameful acts, the things I have done or thought, Jesus has a huge heart for people who can't find their way in life, who can't restore their lives on their own. That's what Peter was trying to do when he denied Christ. He's trying to restore his life through self-protective strategies. And through Jesus who walks on the beach and calls out to his disciples and wants to be with them, through that, Peter knows that Jesus has a heart for him and his heart is open to him. The way of restoration is through the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And oh, what we would do to have our shame overcome and how misplaced our efforts are. See, it's okay to cheer for your high school football team. It's all right. It's okay to try to win the championship. But what do you believe about it? What do you believe about it? It's right there that we go astray. Peter had created, and he is like me, creating a fictional world the night he denied his Lord. And now he's being introduced to the true world. It's a world where Jesus 
opens his arms to Peter. Peter, I can handle sinners. It's what my heart can do. Jesus on the beach, and he is present with and for Peter. And he is there with restoring love. And this makes Peter's heart come alive. His heart comes alive when he hears that it is the Lord. Coming alive to the heart of Jesus means that we've come alive to another story about our life. I thought the story of my life for Peter perhaps would have been, well, I'm just a courageous one. I'm the one who has no weaknesses. I'm the one who's tough. I'm the one who has a sword. I'm the one who can fish. Whatever the story line he was thinking. What do you think that will make you come alive? You, you have a, a storyline, a narrative in your mind. Could it be that all that narrative is a kind of false self? A false self. Brennan Manning, an author who's been influencing me recently, he calls this false self that dictated his life, his appeal to people, his living for people's impressions, living for their applause, he called that false self the imposter. And Peter begins to leave the, the imposter behind. Are you struggling to leave something behind in your life? this Easter morning. Jesus has a heart for you. Peter was tense and anxious, and now he's filled with aliveness as he swims unashamedly to Jesus who waits for him on the shore. I wonder what they talked about right in that moment there. Before the other disciples came, before the fish were hauled in, what was it like to look in their eyes and what happened in that exchange? Brennan Manning writes, the true self is not cowed into timidity, buoyed up and carried on by a power greater than one's own. The true self finds basic security in the awareness and the present risenness of Jesus Christ. Ah, so good. Life in the church is where we seek to be buoyed up with each other, to help each other be carried on by a greater narrative than our own, a greater power than our own. So the heart of Jesus is, is what keeps, what brings us to life. And then third, his presence. This is just such a, such a, such a beautiful way to, to conclude John's gospel. Jesus has been making a charcoal fire. If you know this. And he's, he's starting to prepare the fish. And, and there's the impression that he's actually, he's actually the cook. And we don't know a lot of the dialogue that goes on there. He asks, did you catch anything? And then he says, well, let's have some food. This is the risen Jesus. And what he's doing is he's bringing back normalcy to them. They are traumatized. They don't know what to think about what's happened, how to understand it. And here is this peaceful person, the Lord of glory, willing to enjoy embodied life. It's okay to be a human being. It's okay to be, it's okay for this story to continue. And you know what's quite, quite remarkable about this scene is that doesn't Jesus have the world to save? Doesn't he have a kingdom to build? Doesn't he have stuff to do? And here he is with perfect, relaxed calm, enjoying 
the presence of the disciples, and they are enjoying his presence. You see, this is going to shape their inner life. They are going to go into dangerous territory. They are going to be martyred. They are going to go into the darkness. And I, what's quite remarkable is that the presence of Jesus brings a peace as they go into the storm. This is what he does. Jesus brings peace in his restoration. They know what it's like to live panicky lives, to live frenzied lives, and to not know what to do. But now, in the risen Jesus, they are going to come alive to his presence. It's not easy, by the way. It's not easy. It might be easy to preach about. It's not easy to know that he is really with you. It isn't easy. How do we come alive to his presence? I think it's in ordinary life. I think that's why we have this ordinary scene of fishermen cooking fish on the beach. Oh, it's fun to have extraordinary spiritual experiences, perhaps an overwhelming sense that God is with you, but I think it's in those ordinary moments of life where you, you cry out, Lord, be with me. You are with me. I'm doing this with you. The Christian life is developing an awareness of his presence. It's developing an awareness of his presence. In a journal I keep, I wrote these words, and they're just sort of of random. They don't really even fit with the things I was writing. And it just suddenly says, focus stubbornly on the gospel's ability to change people. I don't know where that came from. Maybe I was quoting an author. Focus stubbornly on the gospel's ability to change people. Well, Todd... Focus stubbornly on the gospel's ability to change you. And what would that change look like? How would it happen? I have to believe it's something about his presence with me. It's interesting what meals are in the Bible. Meals. We are going to enjoy the Lord's Supper this morning. And you'll be called forward, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, to be called forward. And a meal, this particular meal, is a meal among friends. It's a friendship meal. And it communicates something to you. Just like someone communicates to you when they have you over for dinner. You are a friend. Come, enjoy. I want to communicate to you just like a handshake or a kiss. This is a a communication meal. You can know what God thinks of you through having this meal. When you taste these elements, you can know what he thinks of you. And when the disciples were having fish with Jesus on the beach... He was communicating to them, this is what I think of you. I don't reject you. I don't hold that Friday and that Thursday against you. I want you with me. We're in this together. And what's quite remarkable is it's enough. It's empowering. It's strengthening. And if we could put aside all the frenzied communication and all our social media and all our, 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 our skipping along and our attention that just kind of skips along the surface of our lives and we could listen deeply to the communication, there may develop within us a deeper peace where our life that has been subjugated to sense overload We now have a greater sense of his presence with us. This is the gift of of Easter morning. 
Christ's presence. And we lose it and we forget it and we, we don't remember. It's true. But it is big, it is wonderful, it's great, and it is communicating his heart and presence and his plan for you. And that is to enjoy your presence and his presence together. He wants to be with us. Listen to this. In his risenness, he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. And what you think about yourself does not determine what he thinks about you. Keep working on that. Keep at it. We don't get it down on one Sunday, and it takes a long time, and it does take work. We need each other. One last thought of really what we've been exploring is this. Jesus meets with his disciples and restores them. And Paul tells the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 3.17, these words, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Freedom moving from the epicenter of the resurrection out into our lives. Enjoy the meal with Jesus. May you come alive. Come alive to him. Let's pray.